This week on The Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature. The reality is that the religious communities around the globe, with no insult intended to Facebook, remain in, in very real terms the largest social network on the planet. I'm Neil Harvey. Please join us for Church Without a Roof, Keeping the Faith with Creation Care, on The Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature. For millennia, prophets, mystics, and poets have spoken about the oneness of all life. Today, biology is confirming that belief with the most basic genetic fact of life. As human beings, we're quite literally kin with the entire diversity of life, from the microbes to the mammals. Perhaps the single most elemental thread weaving through all the world's religions and spiritual traditions is the golden rule, to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. As Dr. Larry Dossie reframes it, do good unto others because they are you. Today, a new generation of religious and spiritual leaders is preaching the gospel of creation care, our moral, ecological responsibility to conserve the earth and the web of life. They say it's not just because we're rapidly destroying the earth's life-sustaining ecosystems on which our own lives depend. It's also because creation is sacred. This is Church Without a Roof, Keeping the Faith with Creation Care, with Episcopal Reverend Fletcher Harper, the Reverend Sally Bingham, Canon for the Environment for the Episcopal Diocese of California, and Baptist Church Administrator G.L. Hodge. My name is Neil Harvey. I'll be your host. Welcome to the Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. I became aware that humans were destroying the planet, if you will, when I was invited to be a trustee for Environmental Defense Fund in the mid-'80s, and I was invited to go on the EDF board. It's one of the biggest national environmental organizations in the country, and they have scientists and economists and lawyers on staff who would come to the board meetings and give us all the scientific information about deforestation, coral reefs dying, lead in paint at that time was still happening, lead in gasoline. And I am an Episcopalian, have been all my life, and while I was not ordained or even thinking about ordination, I realized that as often as I went to church, I never ever heard a clergy person talk about saving creation from the pulpit. And that's really where this began. Feeling called to alert her fellow Episcopalians to the urgent task of caring for creation, Sally Bingham approached her bishop about attending seminary. That launched a 10-year learning journey. It was four years of college, three years of seminary, and three years in the field doing seminary work. 1997, I was ordained to be an Episcopal priest. And while I hadn't been able to talk about ecology those three years prior to that, I just jumped in with both feet. In 1998, Reverend Sally Bingham manifested her commitment to the right action of religious stewardship when she brought together a coalition of Episcopal churches to purchase renewable energy. Congregations from other faiths joined up, and California Interfaith Power and Light was born. 
California IPL engaged hundreds of congregations and educated thousands of people of faith about the moral and ethical mandate to address global warming. It helped pass California's landmark climate and clean energy laws. One of the missions of Interfaith Power and Light Campaign is to have a congregation serve as an example to the community. That if someone drives by and see the solar on the roof, they think, whoa, if the congregation can do it, I bet I could do that in my home. And that's where we kind of started. Have the congregation have energy-efficient appliances, swap out their light bulbs, don't use styrofoam cups, you know, have all the utensils that you can wash and put them back on the shelves. And we have found thousands of congregations that are doing that now. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Those who love knows God. Those who do not love does not know God, because God is love. G.L. Hodge, administrator of the Providence Baptist Church and member of the San Francisco Interfaith Council. He spoke at a recent Bioneers conference. That is what we say after every service at our church. We're located in the Bayview in San Francisco, California. And uh, I don't know if people are familiar with the Bayview, but if you wanted to know, uh, most people would say it's a ghetto or a low-income community or a high-risk community. But we know it as downtown Bayview. The Providence Baptist Church Board heard about a renewable energy incentive program sponsored by the city of San Francisco to put solar panels on the roofs of senior centers and churches in its community. The solar panels were free, but first, the church was required to upgrade its lighting systems at a daunting cost of $10,000. We're a 24-hour church. Our office is open from 8 to 5, Monday through Fridays. We have an after-school program that comes in at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and stays till 6. We have our ministry meetings that stays till 8. And then at 8 o'clock, we have our homeless shelter that opens up where we sleep 125 men a night. And then we'll open up our social hall, so if we have any women and kids, we'll keep them separate. So we're sleeping about 130 people, and we got a staff on at night of about 10. So it's about 150 people in there, and we cook for them because you don't have to cook for the uh, shelter clients when you're contracted out to the city. But we cook for them, and we offer them prayer if they would like it. So uh, our, uh, our budget for the energy was just outrageous. An energy audit revealed that the church was spending a whopping $35,000 annually to keep the lights on. Hodge had to convince his fellow board members that spending $10,000 up front would bring long-term energy savings. He also told the board that climate change could reduce the church's ability to minister to its congregation. By just one vote, the board passed a resolution to upgrade the lighting, to relamp, and so become eligible for the free solar system. What happens is when we relamped our church, we started an energy-saving environment. Not only did we relamp our church, 
every year after that, we went to better and lower energy use bulbs. And through our work with the Interfaith Power and Light, I found out that in our gym, where we sleep our clients, we had probably about 12 lights per row, four ballasts per row. The ballast was so old, they was eating up more energy than what the lights was. So by changing the balance out, changing the bulbs, going to different lights, we're able to save on a minimum is $15,000 a year just in our energy costs. And that goes right back into the community. G.L. Hodge of Providence Baptist Church and the San Francisco Interfaith Council. Across the U.S. today, thousands of houses of worship, churches, mosques, synagogues, and Hindu and Buddhist temples are going green. The reality is that religious communities around the globe, with no insult intended to Facebook, remain in very real terms the largest social network on the planet. Reverend Fletcher Harper, an Episcopal priest, is the executive director of Green Faith, a groundbreaking national interfaith environmental leadership coalition. Reverend Harper estimates there are about 300,000 houses of worship in the United States. He says that if only 10% were to upgrade their facilities with LEED Green Building Certification, it would result in huge reductions in energy use and greenhouse gas emissions. Reverend Fletcher Harper spoke at a recent Bioneers conference. Very often, religious communities are strongest where environmental leadership is weakest. Religious communities are, are frequently very influential in the moderate to conservative wings of cultures around the world. It's not the only place that they're influential, but it's definitely one of them. And what we find over and over again is that when the unlikely messenger, such as a conservative religious leader, steps up and speaks about climate change, it's worth, and I, I mean this literally in terms of the impact, it's worth 10 of us liberals getting up and speaking about it for the simple reason that it's an unexpected messenger. Yesterday in the Orlando Sentinel, we had a, an op-ed placed by Reverend Richard Sizek and Pastor Joel Hunter. Pastor Hunter is the pastor of one of the largest megachurches in the country, saying that, that Florida needs to wake up and deal with climate change and recognize that climate change is a massive threat as soon as possible. And the fact that you've got... The fact that you've got someone of Joel Hunter's stature investing his time and his energy and his political capital in that is really significant. To educate faith communities about the value of creation care, Reverend Fletcher Harper finds universal religious teachings that speak to the ancient wisdom of our ancient connection with the sacredness of the natural world. Every single one of the world's great traditions has multiple stories that are absolutely central to the identity of these traditions. And these stories happen outdoors. So you've got, you know, the founding of the, the Muslim tradition. Muhammad was on a retreat outside of his home city. 
you know, he's on, he's on a, a mountainside in a cave in the middle of the night in utter solitude, and all of a sudden the angel Gabriel appears and, and commands him to listen because he's about to receive the Quran. I mean, when the Buddha's first enlightened, where is he? He's meditating underneath a bow tree. And, you know, to this day, Buddhist monks go out into forests to meditate because they get it. Um, you know, you see in, in the Christian New Testament, Jesus is baptized in the waters of the River Jordan. He comes up out of the water. He's driven out into the wilderness by the spirit to wrestle with the devil and to get clear about who he is and what it's all about. And then in the Hebrew scriptures, Moses first hears the call of God to lead the children of Israel out of bondage into freedom. He's he's tending his flock at the far edge of the wilderness, it says in Hebrew, and that's where he sees the burning bush. And I mean, these stories, they cascade through the sacred writings of the human family, and they all point in this same kind of direction, which is that there's just something that's absolutely irreplaceable that happens outdoors. There's an awakening to who we are, a, what our purpose in life is, and it's not an optional part of being a human being. And Lord knows the indigenous peoples of the planet have grasped this for for millennia, I mean, for far longer than the axial religions, and that's a heritage that's of tremendous significance. But I think also it's it's not only about safeguarding a place for human consciousness to come to its fruition. It's also about recognizing that that we need to extend the moral canopy that religions cast so that they cover not just human beings, but the entire created order. Reverend Fletcher Harper. Through coalitions like Green Faith and Interfaith Power and Light, people of faith are expressing their deeply felt reverence for the earth. Just as morally guided religious figures led the civil rights movement, creation care is an emerging movement for sustainability as well as justice. More when we return. This is Church Without a Roof, keeping the faith with creation care. I'm Neil Harvey. You're listening to The Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. To explore more Bioneers radio shows and video programming, please visit media.bioneers.org. Like Interfaith Power and Light, Green Faith empowers houses of worship across the U.S. to become centers of sustainability in their communities. Again, Reverend Fletcher Harper. These buildings are teaching tools, and we've seen over and over again with our work that when we help a religious community, when we get financing for a religious group to install solar, it gives the members of that community a place to go kick the tires, so to speak, and to see what this is like and to see that it can work. And it's the same thing. It can be the same thing with waste management, with water conservation, with the use of less toxic cleaning and maintenance. I mean, you go down the list, and, and these facilities need to model that as part of their reason for being. And, and we try to help them do that with resources in, in all of those different kinds of areas. Um, and, then, and then also we try and work hard to help them integrate these themes into advocacy. 
Um, a lot of religious communities have done good advocacy work over the years on issues of hunger and of housing for the homeless and things like that. And we work with them to say you need to be advocating for reductions in diesel emissions because that's killing more people around the country every year than guns are. You know, you need to be advocating about climate change because that's going to be devastating poor communities and the natural world on a global scale. You know, so we, we try to work the advocacy piece in as well, because at the end of the day, we've got to have things happen at a policy level. Individual behavior change isn't, I mean, it's important, but it's not the end all. It's, it's got to happen on a massive scale to make a difference. So we, we try to help faith-based groups do all of these things, and we find that they're increasingly open to it. One example, the Reformed Church of Highland Park in New Jersey. When we started working with them, they had never engaged environmental concerns at all. It wasn't that they were opposed to it. They just had never done it. And so we went in. The first thing we did was an energy audit, which enabled them to reduce their energy usage by about 20% through very simple lighting retrofits, temperature management, installation and programming of programmable thermostats. I mean, basic stuff, but stuff that really makes a difference. We did a waste audit for them. We went out into the lawn, the courtyard outside of the church. We got a big tarp, laid it out, and poured a week's worth of trash out on the tarp. And members of the youth group were there with their vinyl gloves on, sort of picking the trash apart. And they realized that they could probably recycle about 50% of what they were throwing out. So they put a very well-structured recycling program into place for composting and separating everything else out, you know, dropped the amount of solid waste that was going to landfill dramatically within a matter of months. They started installing low-flow, reduced-flow toilets and faucet-flow reduction devices to start conserving water. And then we were able to get financing for solar installation, and they did a solar installation with us. So they were getting through that about half of their electricity from solar. And they've done on a regular basis, they've done education, you know, they've integrated this into their Bible studies, they've taught about the biblical basis for it, they've had a lot of members of the church take an ecological footprint quiz so that they start looking at it at the household level, they've organized electronic waste recycling events in the parking lot outside the church and collected, I think, three or four truckloads worth of e-waste. I mean, it's just, you know, it, it's taken off. And and what's great about it for this church is they attract new members because of this. I mean, they, you know, they realize that, you know, it's smart for them to do this, not only because it's the right thing, but it's, there's a mission in it. There's a tremendous spiritual energy in it, and they get that, and they do that. Um, so they've been a wonderful place to work with. And what you see over and over again is these places bursting through these barriers that, that and, and realizing that they can do it and then getting energized by that. And it's just the, it's the coolest thing in the world. And there have been barriers. For example, Reverend Richard Sizick suddenly lost his position as the head of the National Association of Evangelicals after he advocated for evangelicals to address climate change as a moral responsibility. But you also see a certain number of very well-respected megachurch pastors like Joel Hunter, who have you know tens of thousands of people who are connected to his ministry, and, and he's been very clear, very consistently about fighting climate change as a moral responsibility. So you see the beginnings of, of high-level leadership in the evangelical community starting to take this on. You also see some resistance to that from the old guard, more conservative both culturally and theologically conservative evangelicals for whom the moral universe still is very focused on gay marriage and abortion. Um, they, you know, those are the two top-line moral issues. But what we see consistently with many 
younger evangelicals is that the moral universe revolves around care for creation, as they say, and also addressing poverty. And they get that this is about their future. You know, we talk with them and, and they're frustrated at the lack of political progress. It's interesting, you see more older and, and more conservative evangelicals opposing protection of the environment because they perceive it as being an expansion of government. Um, that, that concern in many ways drops away when we work with younger evangelicals who, who get that everybody's got to be involved with this, that we need a new marketplace to sort of motivate and incentivize technologies that are going to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and, and more. So I think that there's a real generational shift that's happening. And the question is, how do we accelerate that? Reverend Fletcher Harper. Reverend Canon Sally Bingham of Interfaith Power and Light finds more and more people from diverse spiritual backgrounds eager to connect their faith with climate action to conserve the earth for future generations. But even Reverend Bingham was surprised by the rapid growth of Interfaith Power and Light. I mean, within, within about four years, we had 12 or 13 state programs, and today we have 37 state programs. Catholic priests runs the program in Michigan. An Episcopal priest runs it in Georgia. A rabbi runs it in Connecticut. It is truly interfaith, and it's become a movement, if you will, almost in a very organic way. The message is, and I think the bottom line reason it's been so successful is that the religious community is really hungry for something that relates to today's issues rather than 2,000 or 6,000-year-old theology. People in the pews want to be able to put their faith into action, and we've given them a way to do that. So it's just become, it's just become an amazing journey. I want to close by saying a few final words about, I think, a unique contribution that religion can play. A number of years ago in South Asia, in a number of different places, Buddhist monks were observing forests getting cut down. And what happened when they saw those forests cut down was that the communities that they were investing their lives in caring for and protecting, those communities were decimated. The forests got cut down, the soil washed away, the people became impoverished, all kinds of violence and social problems erupted, all because the trees were cut down. And so one day, a small group of these Buddhist monks, none of them terribly influential on their own, decided that they were going to go out into a forest and ordain a tree. Now, in Buddhist circles, it is possible to view a feature of the natural world, a tree, a river, a rock, a landscape, as a spiritual mentor. The idea that one can grow spiritually in relationship to that larger member of the community of creation. And so what these monks did was they walked out and they spread that beautiful orange saffron robe around the tree. And all of a sudden they realized that the loggers weren't quite so happy about cutting these trees down. There was something intangible that had happened. All of a sudden, these trees fell under a moral canopy that hadn't previously covered them. And I think that that's one of the things that religions can and need to do. What would it look like 
if hundreds or thousands of churches around this country started baptizing trees. What would it look like if synagogues around this country began recognizing trees or landscapes or animals or plants as daughters and sons of the Torah? <laughs> Religious rituals have power. Religious communities need to use them. If you belong to such a community, I hope you'll, you'll speak to me or be in touch because we're eager to reach out. In closing, what I want to say is that the, the energy and the spirit that is here, that is a core part of who you all are and what Bioneers is about, joined with the moral and spiritual commitment that exists in religious communities around the planet, is an unstoppably powerful force. We need to build these bridges, we need to nurture them, we need to strengthen them, because by doing so, together, we can build the blessed community, and there is no greater gift. Thank you. Reverend Fletcher Harp, Reverend Sally Bingham, and G.L. Hodge, faith-based leaders who ask us that if creation is sacred, isn't creation care the sacred work of our time? Church Without a Roof, keeping the faith with creation care. You can explore more Bioneers radio shows and video programming online at media.bioneers.org. For information on attending the National Bioneers Conference and Bioneers events in your area, please visit bioneers.org or call 1-877-BIONEER. The Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature is a production of Bioneers and Collective Heritage Institute. Executive producer, Kenny Ausubel. Written by Catherine Stifter and Kenny Ausubel. Senior producer, Neil Harvey. Managing producer, Stephanie Welch. Production management and station relations, Kate Hunter. Interview recording engineer, Jeff Westman. Distribution is by WFMT Radio Network. Our theme music is taken from the album Journey Between by Baca Beyond and used by permission of Hannibal Records, a Rykodisc label. Additional music was made available by Sounds True at soundstrue.com. For more music information, please visit media.bioneers.org. The opinions expressed in the Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature radio series are those of the presenters and are not necessarily those of Bioneers and Collective Heritage Institute, the underwriters, or this radio station. My name is Neil Harvey. Thank you for listening. I invite you to join the Bioneers in inspiring a shift to live on Earth in ways that honor the web of life, each other, and future generations. This is program number 0813. This program was made possible in part by Organic Valley Family of Farms, organic and family-owned since 1988. Visit organicvalley.coop. Mary's Gone Crackers, healing the planet through conscious eating. 
gluten-free, and vegan products since 1999. Learn more at marysgonecrackers.com. John Masters Organics. Feel good about looking good. Visit johnmasters.com. Funding also provided by a grant from the Park Foundation, dedicated to heightening public awareness of critical issues, and by the generous support of listeners like you.